Well, if you could have that Bible passage open in front of you with a Bible or a Bible device as we continue on in James. Let's pray as we begin. Loving Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have spoken to us and that we can hear from you, learn from you, and live for you. So as we open up this passage, help us to do just that. We pray this in your name. Amen. Before ministry, uh, a lot of you may know that I used to work in coffee. And by coffee, I don't just mean like Starbucks or Gloria Jeans or anything like that, but actually real coffee. And in specialty coffee world, there's a person who has written all the books, knows all the things, has done all the things that there is to do with specialty coffee, and his name is Scott Rao, and he is based in Canada. But one afternoon, I was working behind the bar in Noosa, just minding my own business, and in walks in Scott Rao. Out of the blue, no context, no warning, here is the absolute bee's knees of the coffee world asking me to make him a long black. And let me tell you, I made sure that that long black was the best coffee that I'd ever made. I cleaned all the machinery to its cleanest. I ground out to the freshest grinds. I boiled the freshest water. I made sure that the shot was perfect. I went through it three times, and I gave him his perfect, delicious long black. Later on that afternoon, right on close, as I was about to finish my long shift for the day, someone else came in and ordered a half-strength decaf soy latte with a sugar. (laughs) And I guess at this point of the day, the shot was marginally okay, the machine was kind of dirty, and the takeaway coffee uh, came to them and I gave them their coffee. Now then, (laughs) is this fair? Was I right in doing this? No, completely not. I showed complete partiality and favoritism to Scott Rao because I wanted to impress the big famous person, but I didn't really care too much about the other customer. I judged those people completely. Well, here in James, it seems like a similar thing was happening. In the gatherings of the churches, the people who are rich were being shown favoritism at the expense and the cost of the poor. But James makes it abundantly clear that there is to be none of that. Today we're going to see that followers of Jesus must not show partiality because we judge by outward appearances, but God judges by the heart, and finally we will be judged. So then the person who follows Jesus ought to show mercy and love because we have been shown unending mercy and love. We see this ultimately in the hope of the cross. So have a look with me. James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. It's interesting that this is where James starts. He begins by exhorting us as a family together, as a family together who are believers in Jesus, who are united by Jesus, who are loved by Jesus, who are saved by Jesus, shown mercy by Jesus, by Jesus, who is God in flesh, slow to anger, abounding in love, 
does not show partiality, does not take any bribes, but judges justly. So then, James makes it clear from the outset that falling into partiality or favoritism is not on because it goes against the nature of the one whom we believe in and the one who is our head. I don't know if you've ever given this rebuke or been on the receiving end of this type of rebuke, uh, but it's kind of like a parent saying, Michael, you're a calder, and calders don't do this. Well, James is saying, Christians, you're a Christian, and they don't do this. Followers of Jesus mustn't show favoritism. We mustn't elevate another person at another's expense. We shouldn't make judgments based on outward appearances. We shouldn't make any distinction about whether people use Apple or Android phones, support the Broncos or the Seagulls, or more seriously, uh, based on gender or race or what type of clothes they wear. No favoritism. So to drive this point home, James Versus uses an example. Uh, this is it. Two people walk into a gathering of a Christian community. One looks important with all the latest stuff, with the latest bling, with some golden rings, some nice, lavish robes. But the other person who walks in looks completely inconsequential. They're in old, tattered clothes. Their hair is everywhere. And they stink because their clothes are soiled and they haven't been washed in months. If you're on the welcoming team today and you had a green shirt on, what do you think we would do? If I'm being completely honest, my initial reaction makes me feel ashamed because the next verses condemn me. Look at me from verse 3. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If we give the rich man the best seat in the house, but give the poor person a place to stand far off in the corner away from everybody, well, we have shown partiality. We have shown favoritism. And if we do this, we actually make ourselves to be the judges. And let me tell you, well, our judgments aren't always correct, are they? In fact, James calls our judgments and our thoughts evil. Because they're based on human ideals, a faulty standard. They're based on our own pride and our own comfort. In short, far from God's perfect judgment. So then... I wonder, are we prone to this? In our conversations after church, do we exclusively always go to the same group of people? To the people who are like us? To the exclusion of those who may be new? Or those who are different? Are we prone to showing favoritism on our front lines? Do we sometimes look down on some people like I did as a barista? Well, if we do, 
then our actions and our thoughts need a bit of an adjustment, don't they? A realignment to God's character and to God's purpose. Now, this isn't saying that we can't have particular friends or that we shouldn't honour those who deserve celebrating for how God has used them. But if our judgments and actions are at the expense and at the exclusion of others, then we are in the wrong. So then we mustn't show favouritism because we judge by appearances, but God judges by the heart. James continues here to the example of the poor and the rich. Uh, We aren't exactly sure of the circumstances here, but the underlying principle of of this section and this situation makes it clear that God's judgment is different than ours. It seems that some people of the church were mistreating the poor, but giving special attention to the rich, when in reality they should have been doing the exact opposite. I wonder if any of you have seen the TV show Undercover Boss. Uh, On this show, the CEO of a company goes undercover, they put on a disguise, and they go onto the front lines of their workplace in the various areas of their company. The other employees don't know this. They don't give them any particular special treatment. But also, the employees may also show their true colours and potentially mistreat this new employee or potentially mistreat the customers in front of this new employee. They judge by the external, but the person under the disguise was someone who they really should have treated a whole lot better. Well, James is saying here that the people of God should to, should have treated the poor a whole lot better. Not because they're undercover CEOs, but that these are the people of God. These are the people who God has chosen to be rich in the kingdom, to be rich in the best way possible, because God judges by the heart. Look with me from verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in the faith and inherit the kingdom he has promised to those who love him? Uh, James says, listen up, pay attention. The poor ought not to be discriminated against because it's these sorts of people who are so rich in what God has given to them. They may be financially poor, but they have riches beyond the world could even imagine. They are part of God's eternal kingdom. They are inheritors of God's glory and eternal life. And this is something which God has been doing all throughout the Bible. When he first rescued Israel from Egypt, uh, they were poor. They had nothing. They were slaves. There was nothing attractive or inherently good about them, but God chose them by his grace to be his people, poor in resources, but rich in his kingdom. God chose people like Mary and Joseph from the backwater towns of Nazareth and Bethlehem to be parents of his very own son, lowly in circumstances, but rich in God's eyes. Yes, throughout the Bible, God has chosen those who the world defines as poor and down and out for his great purposes. Uh, Note 
though. This isn't exclusively true. Of course, you don't have to be financially poor to be a Christian. But more generally, this is how God has operated. He chooses everyday people, just like you and me, to be part of his kingdom, to inherit the great riches. Therefore, to judge each other and to judge the poor and to show favoritism will be going completely against the grain of God's judgments. Contradictory to how God operates. Uh, James continues in verse 6. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Answer, yes, they are the ones. Now, we aren't 100% sure of the circumstances, but the rich here aren't Christians. They may be rich in financial resources, but they are spiritually bankrupt and not in a good way. The rich were known for exploiting the poor. They were known for taking the poor into the courts to dispute land battles, to gain even more wealth. They were known for having an air of superiority because they felt that they were so much better than anyone else. Uh, What's even more concerning here is that the rich are persecuting and blaspheming against God's church. They are insulting those who are precious in God's eyes. But these were the very people that the church was exalting. Why? Well, it's quite possible that the people were cozying up to the rich to win favour. They were trying to make friends with the rich and famous, being huge fans of them and giving them the very best seats to win kudos, all while the poor were being left behind. So sadly, the church was being no different to the judgments of the world. Shaming the poor and exalting the rich. But this ought not to be the case. We should see all the riches that we all have in Jesus and enjoy them. And instead of trying to rub shoulders with the rich and famous, rejoice in what God has done for us. And love all those who have turned to Christ with no partiality or favoritism. And the way that we do this is to act as people who are going to be judged, but also as those who have been shown great, abundant mercy. Long story short, it's to love. Now, it may be tempting to think, uh, well, you know, it's just a little bit of favoritism. It's only a little sin. Does it really matter? I mean, it's not like I'm murdering the poor or those who I don't get along with? Well, actually, James tells us here that it is serious business. And all sin, no matter what we think of it, is serious. Anything that we do that isn't loving towards our neighbours breaks the law. James starts out by defining what the royal law is. This is one of the commandments that Jesus the King has outlined as summing up all the law And the prophets, he says in verse 8, if you really kept the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. So then, if you can perfectly love your neighbour as yourself, go you. Uh, Well done. However, slight issue, 
is showing favoritism really loving your neighbour as yourself? Answer? No, it is not. But verse 9, But if you show favoritism, you sin, and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Just listen to what James is saying here. Showing favoritism breaks the law just as much as committing adultery or murdering someone. If we show favoritism, we have broken the law just as much as these. Imagine it like uh, having a pane of glass, which is sitting over there. If you throw a hammer through it, the glass gets broken. It doesn't matter how big the hammer is or how many hammers you throw, the glass gets broken. Similarly, all sin is like hammer going through a pane of glass. Breaks the law. It's not more broken. It's not less broken. No, it's broken. No matter how we might class the sin. So then favoritism isn't something small or something that we can laugh off, but it's a big deal. And there should be none of it in Christian community. It's serious business. So then if there is any of this favoritism in our hearts, we ought to cut it out. Because our God isn't a God of judgment and partiality, but a God of love and mercy. So then we as his people who take on the name of Christ as Christians ought to be the same. We are the ones whom God has saved from judgment, whom he has saved to be his people. So we ought to live it out as his people who won't be judged according to the old law, but according to the law that gives freedom. This is the law that Jesus has lived out perfectly and fulfilled in his death and resurrection, which means that the law isn't a heavy burden around our neck. It isn't there to scare us into following it, but it is immense joy and privilege to follow and live out this in line of Jesus the one who lived it out perfectly. But if we don't follow it, and if we don't show mercy, but rather partiality and favoritism, we'll hear the warning as well. Verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Uh, if we have turned to Jesus, we have been freely forgiven, we have experienced his mercy and love, and the sin has been wiped clean. But this ought to naturally flow out into showing love and showing mercy towards other people. Uh, since we have been shown mercy, we ought to show mercy and not judge others, and not show favoritism. And if we don't, 
Well, this is, this is possibly a sign that we haven't really grasped the mercy and goodness of God. Not that these good works earn us salvation, but as evidence of a life that has been saved. We'll look at this more in detail next week. But for now, our lives should be a reflection of how Christ has loved us. Not showing favoritism, but who died for us even when our backs were turned against him. We are the ones who have been given freedom that the gospel offers. So we should be lavishly showing this freedom and joy to others. No matter what our front lines are, no matter who walks in those back doors or who joins us online, we ought not to show favoritism or judge others because of what God has done for us. So let's pray and ask God to help us with this. Gracious God, thank you so much that you haven't shown partiality, that you don't show favoritism, but you are slow to anger and abounding in love for us, even when our backs were turned against you. So Lord God, we are sorry for the times when we have shown favoritism, We are sorry for the times when we have put others down. Gracious Lord, thank you for the forgiveness that is already on offer in Jesus. Lord, help us to see this. Help us to see your love and mercy in full display and then to show this off to others. Lord God, keep us from favouritism. In Jesus' name, amen.